0: let how about others go beyond their limits as well? Welcome. We never get married because divorce is around the corner. That is not the reason we decide to fall in love forever and take those vows and pay a lot of money for that wedding. Oddly enough, 40 to 60 percent, perhaps 70 percent, depending on the region of the world you live in, of those wonderful marriages end in divorce. So that it is no longer a minority experience, it is a majority experience when it comes to marriage. love to be able to help you be able to avoid that divorce. It's one reason I do so much couples counseling, but the truth be known, you are likely to face a divorce situation, and your finances and your children, your whole emotional well-being are going to be wrapped up in the experience. It is traumatic, it is intense, it tears you apart. But you do need to pay a lot of attention to your financial well-being because life does go on after divorce, and you need money. So in order to be able to address this in a sound and reasonable fashion, James Mannion is here to join us, and he is a financial advisor. James, welcome to our program. So glad you can help us today.
1: Thanks for having me, Dr. Francis. I appreciate it.
0: Well, James, just to help us a little bit know who you are, so we, we know we're in good hands, and what your background is, where you come from, and then we're going to leap into some very pertinent questions that are going to help people survive this angst. Who are you, James Mannion? <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, sure. I uh, I grew up in upstate New York, and I was pretty, uh, pretty involved in the financial marketplace growing up. I've always... Uh, I've always felt that I've, I've had a connection to it. Uh, my mom still jokes, actually, now, uh... still, that as a kid I would always love counting change and playing with money all the time. And um, I, yeah, I've always, uh, I've always had quite an affinity for it. So I studied finance at Pace University in New York, and after I graduated. I flew out to California to start my career with um, the Lanza Group, which, who I still work with today. Uh, that was about nine years ago. Um, I have started um, as a financial advisor uh, as a partner of the Lonza Group a couple years ago, and since then, I've focused on, on helping people ever since, and I've kind of found myself working with divorcees a lot as... Uh, as we saw a lot of clients come in who were in similar situations, and I thought to myself, this is probably an area where people are needing more and more help, and and that's kind of why I got in the business in the first place. And it kind of allows me to to combine my expertise along with uh, my love for client service uh, to to a group of people who who actually, who absolutely appreciate it. So that's uh, that's my story. <laughs>
0: The, the, the human side the human side of a financial advisor, at least to some degree. We won't go into all your wonderful antics and covers and Lucas and so forth and so on, but it's so difficult. <laughs> so James Manning, you're a human being. I know you have a great deal of compassion for the people that come and, and visit you, and you are located in Manhattan Beach. Is that correct? Manhattan Beach, California?
1: That is correct. That is
0: correct. Okay. Well, on, we're going to get your phone number and your contact information so people can hook in with what it is you have to offer them on their personal level. But let's start off with one of the key questions, which is what do you believe is the number one piece of advice that you find yourself giving to the divorcees when they come into your office embarrassed, reluctant, confused, hurt, angry? Emotions aside, what's the number one piece of advice you give them?
1: (laughs) Well, you said that great. We said uh, emotions aside, so you know it's a very emotional time, and you know our focus here, on my team, is to to embrace that, and at the same time, you know try to try to work with clients to to let them know that you know you have you have people here who are willing to help out and to work with you, and uh, the number one piece of advice that we give to our clients the first time we see them is knowledge is power. Uh, the more know about the situation that you're in, uh, whether it's the, the financial situation or the, or the way the divorce will be handled in court or, or law. Um, it, once you have a breadth of knowledge of, of what's going on in the situation, you tend to be more confident and in control. We try not to shy away from the emotional part of it because you know have, having confidence and, and control kind of allows you to, allows you to work for uh, structured manner and, and kind of helps you helps lead the way so we always encourage everybody to learn the basics take a general inventory everything that you own everything that um, could come into play any debts that you have and just really take an overall look at, at what you have and and surround yourself with professionals that care about you whether it's a financial professional a forensic accountant or, or a mental health like yourself, the more people that you can surround yourself with that are good people, the better off you're going to be through the process.
0: I really like that emphasis on the good people. I always recommend people, you are going. To, you might need a lawyer if you need a financial advisor, a mental health professional, or a forensic accountant. But the truth is, whatever you need on that team of four that I just mentioned is along with friends. Uh, You need good people there, but I love the idea that knowledge is power and never ever turn over and become a passive participant in your life. Know what you need to know because you're going to be steering your boat. The professionals are there to help you steer, but they're not there to steer it for you. So I think that's a, a first platform statement that's just a sterling idea. Okay, here we go on to the next step. What do you think the most important step a divorcee can take early in the process? What is the most important first steps a divorcee can take from a financial point of view? This is essential, guys. Listen carefully, Gene. Go for it. <laughs> well,
1: I mean, it starts It starts with the first thing we we said, knowledge and, and, and taking the inventory. And, and it's kind of how we formulate uh, a solution for all of our clients. Uh, and it's... I think the number most important thing to do early in the process is to set up a plan and, and make sure you follow it. Um, prioritize what it is that's important to you, and actually write it down on paper. I, I think it helps when you when you when you can list things. Whether uh, most likely it's your children on the top, and maybe you want to stay in your house, or maybe you need to make sure that you have enough money to retire, or putting your child through college, you know, whatever it is, prioritize prioritize what you what you have um and what and what you're looking to do and looking to get out of the situation. And um and then create kind of a start creating a budget using that inventory that you that you had created um when you were Taking a, taking a look at your overall situation and, and kind of see where you stand for the, with those in relationship to those priorities and, and really see what you, need to, what you need to be striving for, maybe what it is that you can give up, and, um, and put it all down on paper. It's so much easier to follow a plan once you have it in front of you.
0: So you're really saying, you know, delineate your, your debt, delineate your credit, delineate your assets, delineate what it is, what your expenses are going to be as you take care of children, as you become educated once again in another profession, as you move to another location. Uh, so all the expenses. And in addition, all of the things that were um, collected as a couple and all those things that existed prior to being a couple. In other words, it's going to be the same sort of the expense report that the courts uh, require. Um, the uh, the the lifestyle explanations the courts would require as well. In other words, everything related to money, what you own, detail, 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 detail. Now, in in light of all that uh, information, and what James, how do you help a person know that number one they've covered all the bases in that regard, and number two to think about that money in ways that are pertinent to what you offer as an investor or as an organizer?
1: Well, we, we have a checklist, uh, a basic checklist, and obviously um, we have more more detailed checklists and and bigger checklists for people depending on you know, what kind of assets that they have and and what kind of accounts and things they have set up. But um, we have a basic checklist that we start off with everybody, um and make sure that they've touched on every uh every account that they have or, or asset that they may have, like a life insurance policy or annuities, uh and things like that. And and we we kind of now have that information and can and can really look at how the divorce is going to affect each one of these um, assets or, or liabilities too. It could be a, a loan or uh, or a mortgage or something like that. So once we kind of have a list of everything that's pertinent, we can then show exactly what it is we can do to either increase the value of this, maybe this is something that we need to get off of your balance sheet, whether it could be a mortgage or something like that, where where we're thinking, okay, well, this might be a good idea to to pay this off. And it really allows us to to help take inventory, see see what we can do to help you create a budget and kind of start the primary initial planning of, of what probably is going to take place.
0: Okay, beautiful. So uh, you have a team of, of professionals as well, and, and your team and you put, well, how do you put that plan together? How do you put the plan together so they can become financially independent? What do you do with accounts that are joints and um, looking at credit scores, et cetera, et cetera? Well,
1: the first thing we do is is use our uh, financial planning software that we have available here at Morgan Stanley, which is one of the finest uh, financial planning softwares available on the street right now. Um, we run what's called a, a life view, which uh, after we input everything on that checklist, uh, we can then see a snapshot from a 10,000-foot view. Of, of where you stand, what your plan is going forward, and how likely your chances of accomplishing the goals that you want to accomplish. Uh, and then from there, uh, you know we obviously are are looking into the joint accounts and and the, and the credit scores, which I think is the most important part of a divorce, protecting your credit. Um, but mm-hmm. usually, if there's joint accounts, the first thing we're telling people to do is is freeze those accounts and and start mm-hmm. becoming financially independent.
0: Now, there are some regulations associated to free, uh, freezing accounts, um, and uh, there are also some situations involved in getting your credit disconnected from the other individual. It, can you it, expand on some of those?
1: Sure, absolutely. Um, and <laughs> I could probably do a whole... One-hour interview on on just credit and, and different things that you can do and, and the importance of it. Um, but I think the first step that you want to want to do when you're dealing with your credit is, is to first monitor it and see what see what accounts that you have tied to your name and your Social Security number. Uh, there's three different companies or databases that you can use to uh, to access your credit information, and those are Equifax, Experian, and TransUnion. Uh, these credit reports are all free once a year on annualcreditreport.com and uh, you can go on there and check, um, the, the credit report, what your credit score is, all the, uh, debts that you may have tied to your name, anything that you might not know of that's tied to your name is very important to, to make sure you take care of, uh, while you're going through this process and, um, you you really have to freeze any of these joint accounts that allow loans to come out because the last thing you want to do is is forget about this side of the balance sheet and focus on things you do, focus on your your assets and your checking accounts and your savings accounts and things like that. And meanwhile, your ex-spouse is, is taking a lot of credit out under your joint name or t- doing another refinance or, or, whatever, or whatever it may be, but uh, then having that come back to, to uh, crush your credit score, which will uh, put you in a very... Very bad place if you do need money going forward. So we recommend that you that you try to freeze whatever you can, that and tell all the joint creditors to not allow any more withdrawals from these accounts. Uh, also, just simple things like opening a personal checking account under your own name, closing that jo- or freezing that joint account, or closing it if you can, and opening that personal checking account. Get your get your paycheck deposited into that account from now on, um, and then even. Things like setting it up, an, setting up a, an interim account for family expenses, uh, maybe a credit card account for your family expenses. That way, like you said earlier, when you go into court and you have your expense report, uh, it's organized and you can easily show the judge, you know, what expenses that you've taken out for your family, that um, that isn't isn't totally your responsibility and should be split should be split in half. So we want to we want to make sure when we go to court that everything is organized and that you know. Like we said, knowledge is power, and you know exactly uh, what it is that, that you're dealing with.
0: What items on that budget um, do you find people often seem to overlook or forget? What you know, and in addition, what items do you wish people would make sure to remember that they budget in or they put on that family expense that you you're aware that people just don't seem to be taking in due consideration.
1: Well, this uh, this actually comes up with not even just people in divorce, but uh, most people uh, today aren't prepared for retirement. Uh, that is one of the the biggest things that we see overlooked in this process. Is a lot of people aren't making efforts to to take half of their spouse's 401k or um, or IRAs and other retirement assets. Um, so you want to make sure when you're meeting with your financial advisor and ask asking questions like, am I prepared for retirement? Am I on the right track? So then they can take a look at your retirement picture and find out if maybe your spouse's 401k should should be a priority of something that maybe you can uh that you might try to get a bigger chunk of or or um, or maybe it's something that you don't need and you can kind of use it as a bargaining chip to say hey you can keep that but you know I want I want this sort of thing um, the other area that we see often that people just don't seem to, to either care about or, or remember that it's that it's important is, is the health care um, obviously if you're an older individual or you have physical conditions, this this probably wouldn't apply, but uh, a lot of people, they care about their kids, they care about their house, uh, they don't care about what kind of health care they have, and and they kind of overlook it until the last second and and forget to kind of put that into their budget. Um, as they as their new health care plan may be changing if you're under your spouse's health care plan, um especially with the new Obamacare laws right now, a lot of people aren't aware of, of what they can get and how much money that's going to cost them so making sure that you account for that in your budget i think is uh, is pretty important and uh, two great points
0: health care and um and also and Oh, my goodness, and also retirement. I know my mind is moving on to looking at something that relates to estate planning. And First, speak a little bit about estate planning for some of the clients that that's pertinent to and how that needs to be reconfigured when you're contemplating or going through a divorce.
1: Surely. Uh, estate planning is, is a very big part of our business, we always want to make sure that the clients have a plan going forward after they're gone of how their assets will be passed on. And as this usually applies for most of our wealthy clients, most people have wills. Um, some people have trusts written up. And, and when they're when they're going through divorce, and obviously if you had a trust written up before uh, the divorce was filed and while you were married, you might have plans on leaving assets to certain people, the family, your ex-spouse's family um and things like that. So we want to make sure that we sh- you know show the importance of going through and rewriting those trusts and those wills and most importantly protecting the children that you have together with your ex-spouse uh making sure that they are entitled to a certain amount of inheritance should your ex-spouse uh, remarry uh, and have more children, you wouldn't want your children to be cut out of any kind of inheritance. So, it's important to to work through these trusts and wills um, and make sure that that everybody is taken care of, that that you want to be taken care of with your money. You know, when God forbid uh, something was to happen, um, you you know you're protected and you can you can rest peacefully knowing that that your money uh, or your assets are are being passed on to the right people. Along with that, beneficiary reviews on life insurance policies, uh, investment accounts and annuities, things like that. Uh, We always want to make sure that everybody who is supposed to be getting it is still supposed to be getting it after the the divorce is finalized. And then lastly, with our very wealthy clients who have set up charitable trusts or family foundations to support the causes that, that they believe in, these are things that we want to review and, and take a look at as well and make sure that the charities that are being supported are are still in line after the divorce. And uh, we also want to make sure that if you want to split them, that, that that is possible and that we can kind of work through that to make sure that if something was to change, you wouldn't have to run it through your ex-spouse or something like that. You can always be supporting the causes that you want to support.
0: Beautiful. You know, let's just deviate for just a moment because what you have brought so far in these five major discussion points that we've had so far um, are all about looking at the monies and where they are and what needs to be done to organize them so that who needs the money gets the money or who deserves the money gets the money. So let's just pause for a moment and let's imagine someone's listening to this program not yet saying they're going to divorce but kind of preparing, thinking about it, wondering what they need to do, looking forward. Of all that you've mentioned so far, what of those items can be done prior to even contemplating a divorce, or how can those issues be contemplated in a way that might help prevent a whole lot of confusion during the highly emotionally charged time of divorce?
1: Sure. Well, most of the things that we've talked about so far... Pretty easily done, or or you can create kind of a, of a picture of what exactly you have uh, before the divorce is even filed. Uh, taking the inventory, like we like we said, um, that that easily is done, and probably easier to do before you file a divorce, um, since your spouse probably isn't aware, is not, you know, also trying to freeze accounts and things like that. Uh, depending on what the situation is, obviously. Um, creating the budget of, of kind of what you make, uh, being able to split off or thinking of, okay, well, once we file now that we have, now I'm only going to have one income, this income, my ex-spouse's income won't be uh, taken into, uh, taken into, um, consideration. So seeing if you'd be able to afford it, how, where you would need to be cutting down on spending money where you could spend money is important. Um, Checking your annual credit score is very easy to do um, before your divorce. So, kind of seeing every account that's tied to your social security is very, very, very helpful. Um, obviously, you wouldn't be putting any freezes on until after the the divorce has been filed. Uh, meeting with your financial advisor about your retirement uh, that could be that could be a very, very helpful meeting to have before filing for divorce. And, and tell your financial advisor that that you are planning on doing that. Having a financial advisor, even if it's a financial advisor that you and your spouse both use, uh, we're very much like doctors. We can't give out any information. If we do, we lose our license. Uh, You know, everything is confidential with us. So, if that is the case, you know, the more that you tell us, the the more we can help you with. Um, As far as the healthcare goes, you can find out whose healthcare plan you're under. You probably know that already. So, um, shopping around. For, for a new health plan or just getting an idea of what it would cost would definitely help your budget as well and meeting with your estate attorney going through your trusts and your wills is very easy to do um, and and again you would uh, you would be asking them for their discretion to not mention anything and and uh, and they would have to follow along with that um, if they if they didn't want any repercussions so uh, let your attorneys let your team around you let them know what you're going through and and, and allow them to help you
0: it, uh, it requires a lot of uh, paying attention to monies that some people are just not geared to do. They're into a whole other field of thinking. I know that you have said that you were into money since five years old. <laughs> a lot of people <laughs> don't have that, that money consciousness. What do you think an individual who doesn't have that money consciousness needs to start grooming inside themselves so that they are better able to talk the language and think about these factors?
1: Sure. I mean, sometimes it's as easy as doing a Google search and just asking your questions online and, and doing some legwork on your own to to kind of get a general idea of what it is that you're working with. If you don't know much about life insurance, just, you know, take a look and do, a, do some research and, and kind of get the basics. Um, you can probably do that with most of the topics that we 've talked about at least on the on the uh, surface level. if you want to get into details uh, you contact the professionals that you work with and 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 speak to them and they 'll be happy to go into detail with you as far as your health care or or maybe your retirement plan and just kind of kind of ask questions as many questions as you can, get as much knowledge as you can and um and that 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 should help you as much you know if if you're not financially uh literate or maybe that's not the right word to use but um if that's not your strong suit then lean on the people around you who do know um and things and things will will start to get a little bit clearer once once you learned as much as you can
0: beautiful my advice is It may not be your forte, but you need to learn it anyway, (laughs) because it's (laughs) going to be about the comfort and functionality of your future life, perhaps your children as well, and it's just a language that you have to step into as we live in an economically-based society.
1: Absolutely, and that's mostly why I have a job today, is because people who, who don't really want to deal with this kind of stuff and would rather have someone else take a look at for them, um, you know, that's that's what we're here to do, and, and that's, why, uh, that's why I enjoy doing it so much, because it helps me. Yes, oh, there
0: you go. <laughs> you know, well, let's talk about the human aspect of that in, in just a moment in terms of your own dealings with clients without revealing anything private and confidential. And in just a moment, we'll do that, but can you please explain how people can reach you directly?
1: Sure. I'm um, available by phone most hours of the day, <laughs> even on the weekend sometimes. Um, my office telephone number is 310-297-3764. Feel free to call any time. Um, again, I work with uh, the Lonza Group, which consists of two brothers, Anthony and Steve Lonza, and our assistant, Jason Maiatani. He uh, he's great. Um, the Lonza brothers have been in the business for 20 and 25 years um, each, and – we have pretty much seen what most people could throw at us uh, in the span. Uh, so I, I'm confident that if you guys had called me with any situation, we'd be able to handle it for you, if not with our team here, then the resources that we have uh, at Morgan Stanley.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, Morgan Stanley is a huge, huge brain uh, behind your financial. Aid. How else can they reach you by email or uh, your office location?
1: Sure. My uh, email is james, J-A-M-E-S, dot Mannion, M-A-N-I-O-N, at morganstanley.com. Or feel free to stop by the office. Come in and see me. My office address is 2381 Rosecrans Avenue, Suite 115. It's located in El Segundo, California, and the zip code is 90245.
0: All right, James, now for a personal touch. You ready? (laughs) (laughs) I am quite sure there are times, and again, without revealing anything private because I so respect confidentiality, but there are times where you just look at the client and wish, so much wish, that they had developed some sort of contract, like a prenuptial uh, contract, prior to getting themselves into this divorce financial mess. Can you... Walk me down scenarios of that sort where you just go, oh, I just wish this person had looked into this prior to even stepping in the marriage.
1: Sure. Um, most recently I've come across a a client that may, maybe not for herself wasn't prepared, but never really started the preparation for her child to go to college, and this one really touches home with me. I, I had a, uh, had a child friend growing up who, uh, was kind of in the same situation. His parents were divorced, and, and no one had, they'd been spending so much time fighting, and no one had even thought about, uh, setting up an account for, for him to go to college, and, and he had a hard time getting into college at first, because he couldn't pay for it. He had to go to, you know, community college, uh, and, which which is a harder, I think, a harder way to go about it um, to get into a bigger college. And, you know, eventually he did make it so... um, But the client that I've been working with is... They've been meaning to set it up, meaning to set it up, and then they've filed for divorce. And now with all the hoops that they have to jump through and the divorce dragging on as long as it has been going on, you know, her child has now... Growing up to be about 12 or 13, leaving them with a few years left to to put away for for college, and now they're they're kind of scrambling around trying to figure out how much money they need to put away and um, what vehicle to use and, and and what would be best for them. So that would probably be the most recent thing that I've dealt with, where where the client just not um, not really prepared. Um, for, for their financial situation in general, and then once the divorce started, kind of threw everything into a tailspin, and, and now they're kind of clawing back and trying to, to make up lost time to, to put their child through college.
0: So in light of that, would you recommend that individuals when they get married and have children, they actually prepare really quickly college funds to be developed and also monies that will be set aside for the children's well-being uh, Prior to the conflicts that might occur in marriages, again, 40 to 60% of those marriages are going to end in divorce, and there's going to be financial concerns, and a lot of those marriages have children. So how would you recommend people thinking about that before they even get the engagement uh, ring moving into uh, uh, the thoughts of when to plan the wedding? How, How should people think about what they need to do for the welfare of their children,
1: well, I, I think the the one most important step that you can take, as far as just making sure they have money for education, is is opening up a five twenty nine plan for their for their children uh, at a very early age. Uh, as some of you probably know. Um, once you've invested into the market, the longer that you've invested, the more the interest and dividends and, and growth kind of compounds uh, in these plans. So the earlier you can set it up, the better for for your cho- for your child, and the more money you'll have at the end. Um, also, there's plenty of incentives for for the adults to be putting money into this uh, into this vehicle, which uh, which include. The tax-deductible contributions uh, in some states. California, unfortunately, not one that will let you deduct from your taxes what you contribute into the plan. But um, if you if you live in another state um, or have residence in another state, it could be a, a great idea to um, to use that contribution to lower your taxable income. Um, also, the the main part. That really is exciting about investing in 529 plans. <laughs> exciting, exciting for me. People like me, but uh, is that the investments grow tax-free, uh, which is uh, which is very big, very big deal when you're dealing with very long-term investments. You can see a lot of growth over a, an 18-year span from the from the time the child is born into the time that they start looking for college and uh, the mo- amount of money that you've made um, in that 18 years. Um, as opposed to in a regular account, where if you had sold anything where you made a lot of money, you have to pay uh, capital gains taxes. Uh, the 529 plan is sheltered from that, which is kind of the trade-off that the government is making. That uh, your your investments won't be taxed, but you have to use that for education. So it's only helping society and and, and helping your child. So um, that that would be one of the major things that. Uh, that I would bring up to my clients, every one of my you clients.
0: Have a, you do happen to know if that will be protected by the court so that neither parent can extract money out of that for their own benefit?
1: Sure, sure, sure. Uh, once you give to a, a 529 plan, and there's other vehicles like a custodian account, um... Uh, as well that's just kind of a regular account for a child but once you put money into these accounts uh, the accounts are open under the uh, under the child's name and social security number making it property of the child Uh, nobody else has access to these accounts if any money is taken out of these accounts and used for personal expenses um, that is enforceable by law It, it it's almost like stealing from your from your child so putting money into these accounts you are you are gifting it to your child, and 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 not uh, not just putting in an account where anybody has access to it. It's your child's money, regardless of which parent is still alive or or the divorce, or, or it doesn't really matter. Uh, it's it's the, it's the child's money, so it's protected in that sense.
0: And then you mentioned the other account. What was it? That's the custodial account. What
1: is that? The custodial account. It's just a it's a regular account, uh, a regular savings account uh, that that is controlled by one a custodian or guardian or parent uh, that is still opened up under the, the child's social security number. This is more of just a, a savings account for the child, but putting it into an account that is protected as far as it is now under the child's name, nobody has access to it, although the custodian does uh, control the account, make the investments, can take money out in if it is for the benefit of the child. Uh, and would have to prove that before doing so. Um, but uh, it's it's just a great way for you to gift money to your child for savings. The the good part about that is if you're not sure if your child is going to be using that for higher ed- education expenses, you just want to make sure that they have some money. That's a, that's kind of a good way to do it. But at age 18, the child legally is entitled to that money and um, and can do whatever they want with it, which is kind of the scary part for for some parents. <laughs>
0: Well, that, that's yeah. going on. Again, though, that would be whoever opens that up, that's who owns the account. So if it's the father or the mother, that's who owns the account. So that would be divided accordingly, do you think, by the court? I know you're not a lawyer, but is that what you've seen?
1: No. Uh, even though one child would open the account and would have control over the investments of the account the monies in the account are still the, ch- the child's money. So it doesn't really matter who has control of the account since they can't use the money for their own, um, for their own good anyway. It, it's, all, it's all for the child. So it, it, really, it really doesn't matter who the custodian is. It, as far as maybe what you're uh, you might be worrying about what your spouse may invest in and things like that, but uh, when all said and done, it, it, it's the child's money.
0: Okay. So interesting to plan ahead for the well being of your child in light of I hate to say this, I know James, you don't like me to say this, but the probability or likelihood it's pretty high. So do it ahead of time for your child. So that your child isn't a of, of the horrible financial circumstances that might occur from divorce. Well, let's go on to another very uh hot issue that relates both to children and to parents and that's what about the family home? Whew. Go for yeah. <laughs> it. What
1: do we do with the family home? Well, this we like to look at it as, as probably the most important financial decision that you're going to make during the divorce. It's usually uh, the most valuable asset any couple owns. Um, I guess the, the good part about it is that there's only three options that you have. Either you're going to keep it and stay in the house, you're going to leave it to your spouse, or you're both going to sell it and go separate ways. Uh, so, when we're looking at a client who's who's taking a look at this situation, we first ask them to refer back to that written down list of priorities that we uh, that we had them write down in the beginning of the process, and and see where's is, where's is the home on this list of priorities. If it's uh, if it's on the bottom of that list and it's not very important to them, then maybe use that as kind of a bargaining chip um, for. For your uh, for your overall divorce agreement, uh, if this is on the top of your priority list, then you know we have to kind of dig in a little bit deeper and and see what's going on there. And one of the first questions that we ask our clients who are trying to figure out what to do um, with the situation is is kind of take one from your book and ask them, what's the emotional environment like in the home? Um, if it's a positive environment for your children and yourself. Um, then maybe maintaining that sense of continuity for them is is very important. And um, if, that, if that's the case and that's something that you want to fight for, we want to make sure that you're taking everything into account before you take that next step into trying to stay in the house, uh, making sure that they can afford it. Um, make sure they don't forget about the fact that they're going to have to pay taxes, uh, utilities. And another big overlooked um, area is the maintenance and upkeep that you're going to have to pay for that house and just making sure that you you take that into account in your budget. Uh, If if it's a negative or or hostile environment in the house, uh, we think regardless of the financial implications, sometimes it's better um, for your mental health to just kind of move on. Um, and sell the house or let the spouse keep it. Like I said, use it as a bargaining chip if they really want that house and you think that it's probably not good for the mental health of yourself or your children to stay there because of the memories or or what had happened. Um, You know, kind of get rid of it. But, uh, you know, and obviously we're talking about this very generally speaking and not client specific. Mm -hmm. But um, if you are are selling the house, we want to make sure that you remember things uh, like capital gains that may apply. So if you've made a lot of money on the house, you'll have to pay a lot of taxes on the money you've made. So we want to make sure that we can calculate that and put that in the budget as well.
0: So it, it, it seems like um, there's so many factors around the house. It's emotional. It's for the well-being of yourself, your children. and But, but if just stick to the finances of it, you're the person's going to have to purchase or move someplace where they're also going to have to pay for. So that just because you're selling the house doesn't mean, one, you're getting that money free because you still have to buy a place or or move into a place to pay for. So that money of the move, the money of the rent or the or a future mortgage or points or uh, it, so forth and so on, this is a complex configuration of numbers to look at. It has so many dimensions to it that... Absolutely. Um, I think that sometimes I feel people just simplify this topic without really considering that five years down the road, their income may be higher and they can handle it better than now, or five years down the road, that house may have more value than it does now, or a lot less value. So do you <laughs> right. have ways or worksheets or tools that assist people to think about the various and complex components of all this?
1: Well, uh, you know, there's not really a tool that that we can use to to speculate on the future, but we like to take a look at all the different situations and scenarios that could come out of it, and and what would work best. You know, like we said. I, because we don't have any specific information on a certain client or whatnot, you know, we, I was just talking about just the, the emotional environment at first is is the first thing that we take a look at. From there, you know, we do dig down and, and start looking at if you were to sell it, what was that, what could happen, where would we be looking, what are interest rates looking at now, what rate do you have on the house currently, um, how much equity do you have in the house um how how big of a house will you need if you do sell it um and if you do stay in it what area is it in you know the, the chances that your house is going to increase in value what if you need a new roof in 2 years can you afford that kind of kind of um, construction on the house um and that's and that's kind of what we do on a on a client specific um level where we're trying to we're trying to look at look at the situation from all different directions and make sure that uh, that we're doing the right thing for them and doing the right thing uh, for their children.
0: All right. Complex question. Please, folks, don't simplify that for yourself. Uh, And to have someone that's going to look at that in all different dimensions is really helpful and important. Well, James, shall we move on? You said, financially speaking, what should a divorcee be aware of when dealing with his or her children in a divorce? We've talked about some of that. Would you add anything to that? We talked about the... 529 plan, uh, go for it.
1: <laughs> yeah, sure. I mean, the 529 plan and the, and the college savings, uh, just the college savings plan in general, maybe not using a 529 account, but um, but just college savings in general, I think is very important uh, to know and understand and, and at least have a plan going forward, at least written into the divorce agreement at some point. Um, if you haven't started it yet, at least then it could force both parties to, to put the money away. Uh, we've seen way too many situations where the kids are, are left behind um, as the as the parents kind of fight over what it is that they want, uh, and that's just the number one thing that that we try to have our clients understand is that you know this is this goes beyond you and and your ex-spouse, and I know there's obviously a lot of emotion there and a lot of uh, you know that's not it's not an easy time, so we try to we try to focus more on the children in the future and make sure that at least that. That is set aside to to let your child grow into somebody um, who who is going to have an education and who's going to be able to contribute um, to both your life now and and society as a whole um, another another thing we look at with the children is uh, is health insurance making sure that we we know what ch- um, what health insurance uh, coverage that they're going to get uh, either under the your plan or the spouse or your ex-spouse's plan. Uh, usually, the court will take a look at the two insurance plans and, and just pick the best one if it, at a reasonable cost and, and force the child to become uh, insured under that plan. But um, if it's going to become an expense now for the both of you or, or if it's going to be put under your plan or whatnot, you just have to make sure that you're accounting for these expenses and making sure they're built into the child support award. If, if it's an expense that you're going to have to be paying out of your pocket at work. Um, also another area that, that, that a lot of people don't think about when they're drawing up their divorce agreement is determining how any non-covered medical expenses, uh, how they're going to be covered. So uh, if your insurance doesn't cover something and God forbid something happens to your child that's not covered, is it written in the divorce agreement? who Who's out for that money now? Um, it's these are just little things that you can put into place to really help, um, your children's lives and, and make sure there's no argument over money if something um, was to happen to the child.
0: Oh, beautifully said. Yeah, Things that come to my mind in terms of the, um, the emotional aspect of money's being set aside for a child is, is that if you know that that's there ahead of time, you're going to be a lot clearer in terms of thinking about what you're going to need for you, you and your child uh, if you have some sense of this is being taken care of in a reasonable way. Um, a lot of times I find people stay married for the sake of the children because of finances. So, James, how else do you think people can, when they know they need to get out of an abusive situation um, or a situation where someone's clearly involved with someone else, but you don't want to leave it because of money concerns, how do you help people or think people should contemplate their finances when finances are really the only
1: reason why they stay. Whew. Well, that is a that's a <laughs> that's a tough question. <laughs> um, well, like uh, I would I would probably have to say again using the knowledge is power um, template here you need to take that inventory, find out exactly what you have. Don't shy away from it. I feel like people who usually get caught in that situation are people that don't understand finances or don't want to understand finances and are usually stuck in a situation where, well, you know, my, my spouse handles that. I'm not the finance person in the relationship. So, you know, what do I know about it? So I might as well stay with them because what am I going to do without that person? Um, it's as easy as looking at everything you have, checking your credit report, seeing all the accounts that are under your name, and and figuring out what it is that you have. And um, one of those things uh, could be 401k that you um, that you might want to look into trying to leverage money from there. You might want to look into. Um, okay, if I'm going to go through this, what is my credit rating now? Can I get a, a good deal on a credit card where there's no interest uh, for a certain amount of time? Or um, maybe any kind of loans that you, you have access to um, that might help you in the interim while you're going through this situation. Um, once you know what's available to you, it, it probably makes the decision a little bit easier uh, for the person trying to get out and uh it makes me sad to think that, that finances would be one thing that would keep a marriage together although understandable it's just um it, you know it's kind of sad to me and you know if anyone had come to me with that situation i think if you're even talking about or thinking about it then it, it's probably time to to move on and and do everything you can to create money for the short term and as you create a plan to work harder or figure out how to, how to um, make some more money in the long term um, to kind of get past that.
0: Another another aspect of that is, and you mentioned the Social Security, uh, like someone should find out what accounts or what is attached to your Social Security number. Number one, how do they hmm. do that? What are the different avenues for them to do that? And number two, how do you help people contemplate uh, that for some thousands they will be able to uh, um, I don't know what's the right word here, but be able to use, get some monies off of their spouses Social Security in the future, um, how do they find that out? How do they contemplate that in terms of their retirement, um, et cetera?
1: Sure, sure. So um, the credit report will have every account that's tied to your Social Security number. Um At annualcreditreport.com, you can check the three major uh, credit reporting agencies that we mentioned earlier, the Equifax, Experian, and TransUnion. Most of them have the same information on them, but it's good to check all three in case there's errors on on one or... uh, or maybe an account that has been left off on another one. So uh, check those, uh, get your credit score, get all the um, liability accounts that may be tied to you, as well as any other uh, checking accounts and savings accounts that's tied to your Social Security number that you might not know about, um, <laughs> which you know sometimes you have joint accounts that are open that you just forget about or, or you're not sure uh, how much money's in there. So those will be able to tell you that. Um, and I'm sorry, what was the second part of your question?
0: Well, the, uh, since uh, many people if this is their first marriage, they will be able to gain some money off of the Social Security retirement uh, situation in their future. And how do they find out what right. that number or what that would be?
1: Well, uh, in in some cases, you're, you're entitled to your to your former spouse's Social Security benefits. Um, these usually happen if you're married for more than ten years. Uh, I think you have to be older than 62 years old if I'm not mistaken and um and have not yet remarried you can actually take a lump sum of half of your former spouse's social security benefits which things like that if you're older and you're and you're worried about hey I want to get out of this but I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to retire you can you can kind of Account for a certain amount of social security benefits coming your way uh, from your spouse and um, and that might make you feel a little bit more comfortable if um, I would talk more with your lawyers about about that and your financial advisor to see it, you know exactly how much that's worth and and how that exactly will work out in the court of law but um, that that is the um, that is the agreement that we have in place right now, that you, you, you are due 50% of your spouse's Social Security benefits if you're married more than 10 years, 62 years or older, and, uh, and not remarried.
0: Okay. Once again, this is a very ethical individual, James Mannion. can help you be able to think these questions through with a sympathetic heart, but with a focus on your fund, funding and money. And James, again, how can they get in touch with you?
1: Sure. Uh, give me a call anytime, 310-297-3764, or shoot me an email at james.mannion at com.
0: You also mentioned about whether or not it's a savvy idea to take money out of the 401 for short-term loan. Run down that possibility and what the implications are for us.
1: Sure, sure. So we have clients who who are going through this, um, and maybe they have some of their accounts frozen or, or don't have access to a lot of money, and aren't sure if they want to take out more credit card debt at, at a high interest rate. Um, and then they see their their 401k little retirement nest egg that they've saved up and said, well, you know, I could always dip into this money and, and take this money out. Uh, and a lot of people come to us with that question. Should I do this? What's what's the best avenue to take? And our reply usually, um, if, if their 401k plan allows this, which most do, so it's usually not a problem, but um, you're able to take short-term loans from your 401k and borrow against that. A lot of people aren't aware of this, but um, if you plan on paying that loan back in five years or less, which I think is a pretty doable time period um, to get through a divorce um, or or at least to get through a divorce and give you some time to make up some of that money and, and, pay, and pay yourself back, um, I think this is a much better option than taking money straight from your 401K. Um, so to kind of explain this a little bit further, if you – do take early distributions from your 401k. First off, it's taxable as income to you, um, since you have written it off um, before you put it in there. Now, now it is taxable income to you, so you have to um, put that put that uh, in, in your head as something that you're going to have to now pay taxes on that money. Um, also, if you're under 59 and a half, there is a 10% penalty that you have to pay for early premature distributions. So um, what we think is a better route, taking that short-term loan off of your 401k assets. So usually it's a portion, and usually it's under or about 50% of your assets in there. So if you have $100,000 in your 401k, you can borrow about 50, you know, give or take. It depends on what the plan allows. But um, usually that's a good chunk of change that you can then have access to. Um, without being taxed or penalized, so in this situation, you take the money out. It's not uh, it's not taxable as income, and uh, and it's not penalized as a premature distribution. Um, you do have to pay interest on the loan, but instead of paying interest to a bank, you're actually paying interest to yourself. So um, where the risks kind of are involved in this uh, in this situation is once you take the loan against your 401k, you can't make any more investment gains on the 401k. So you're pretty much limited to the interest that you're paying yourself is the only amount of money your 401k is going to make in that short-term time frame. And we think if it if it's a very important to you to get some short-term liquidity, this is probably your best bet to do that. Uh, you will miss out on any investment gains, but you never know, you also miss out on any investment losses. So you know, there is a flip side where if the market was to go down during the th- three years or four years that you took the loan out, you know, you're, you've, you have gotten out of the market at that point and, and you're paying yourself some interest. Um, also, some other risks um, that may happen um, or that could happen, uh, if your employment is terminated while you have that unpaid outstanding balance, um, they will count that unpaid outstanding balance as a taxable distribution. So how we look at it is, okay, if you took the loan out and you've been paying some of it back plus interest and then your employment is terminated, now you have to take that chunk out as a distribution. But if that was your only other alternative to begin with, then you're probably still in a better spot than you were if you just did it in the first place because you know pretty much it's going to be the same thing, less whatever you've paid back. So... um, so it's kind of uh it's kind of an easy way to to take money out of uh of a vehicle that you have saved for retirement for very short term uh very short term uses uh which which I think is is very important to say this isn't free money that you get to take out penalty free you know you want to make sure that your retirement stays on track so paying it back is very important but um, you know, if you have a few years to kind of get back on track, I think this is a very, uh, very helpful way to to leverage some of the money that you have put away already.
0: That's very clear. And of course, things are a little bit different if you're 59 and a half and above. You say here, with, without having to worry about the tax penalties. Do you have to? And you Correct. do not, therefore, have to pay tax. Pay it back with interest after 59 and a half. Uh,
1: no, you. Well, if you're still employed. You you can take a loan, and still have to pay back interest um, with whatever that is. Um, but like I said, you're paying interest to yourself. Um, if you take money out of it at 59.5, there's no penalty, but it's still taxable to you. So um, you would be you would use that loan in that sense just to not be stuck with that giant tax liability um, as income tax of a big chunk that you've taken out. And, and can I ask,
0: what's that interest uh, based on? What is it? Is it variable, the, or what,
1: what's the interest based on number one? Is that yeah. tax deductible on Schedule A? <laughs> uh, the interest rate is usually determined by the plan and the plan documents that that were filed for that specific 401k plan, so it's not usually a set percentage. It probably floats along with the 10, uh, 10-year Treasury loan. Uh, treasury bond that's issued by the government. Um, that's what most loans are, are looked at by. So it would be some kind of floating rate um, on on a uh, on an interest rate index like the 10-year or the LIBOR interest rate, um, which I <laughs> probably don't want to get into right now. But uh, pretty much the answer to your question is that the the plan documents of the 401k plan that you're in—they're all different—and they would usually set the the interest rate and, and what the rules are as far as how long of a loan you can take, how much of a loan you can take, uh, so on and so forth.
0: And tax deductible
1: or no? Uh, I, I don't believe I don't believe it is. But uh, I'm, not a, I'm not a CPA, so I can't give uh, tax advice. <laughs> Thank
0: you. Another person on your team is a CPA, a tax advisor. Well, let's move on to talking about spousal support, both from the payer and the receiver point of view, and child support, both from the payer and the receiver point of view.
1: Sure. Um, this is something that uh, a lot of people forget to think about when they're either paying child support or receiving child support. Um, the the child support award, um, if you're paying it, is, is tax deductible. So if you do make uh, a significant amount of money and you're at the highest tax bracket, and, for example, if you were to pay $50,000 a year in child support, because you're writing that off your taxes, um, technically you're really paying $25,000 out of your pocket so uh because you're getting the twenty five thousand dollars back on your on your taxes. This is uh you know, so your 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 liability is less than the fifty thousand. Um I don't know, it it might not be exactly twenty five thousand or or whatnot, but um but because it's tax deductible as the payer, you then aren't really liable for fifty thousand because you're getting money back on your taxes. So um some people get into arguments about this and um and really uh, they really look at it the wrong way when they're when they're upset about how much money they have to, to pay in child support. First of all, you're you know, you're paying for support of your child, so you shouldn't be arguing too much about that anyway. But huh. uh, when using when looking at it as a, as a bargaining chip, um, you have to kind of realize that the liability, although it says fifty thousand on, on the piece of paper, and that is what's coming out. Um, you're you're making some money back on the on on, on writing that off your taxes. Um, if mm-hmm. you do know that and you're aware of that as the payer, you may be able to, to say, okay, I'm paying this much in child support, you know, maybe you can help me back, you know, help me out on this, on this side, whereas if the other person isn't quite aware that, that it's less, they might look at it as a, as a $50,000 obligation where technically mm-hmm. it's probably um, much less than that.
0: Also, okay, if you're okay. receiving
1: the child support too, on the other hand, you, you know, it's, it's taxable to you.
0: Okay, so here here I'm confused because in your notes, and my understanding is that it's spousal support that's tax deductible, not child support, and you have that in your notes here in front of me as well. So you've been mentioning child support is tax deductible and reportable as income by the receiver, but that was a spousal support, and I'm, these things get confused. So let's, let's see if we can clarify.
1: Oh, you know what? <laughs> I'm sorry. I think you're right. I always uh, – sorry about Yay. that. No, I'm uh... – <laughs> Yeah, I'm looking at that dude. I'm like, oh my god, you're right. I'm sorry. So I'm sorry. That was more for the for the spousal support. Um, right. It counts as income, right? Because the child support wouldn't be income towards you, right? So um, I'm, I apologize for that. I um, no, always the, get those two. But big, you so.
0: know, the, the error that you just made there is so common uh, that just this even week, this week with the clients coming in. Mean, oh yeah, I'm going to lower this because it's not tax-deductible. And I was thinking, no, that is the one that's tax-deductible. I'm going to get rid of that because I can't benefit from paying spousal support. And this is, a, this is what he had asked his lawyer. So, you know, I know that this is a, a question that gets very scrambled in people's minds and there's lots of emotions around paying spousal support that I could go into it in depth as a psychologist and a marriage counselor, a divorce counselor. But that spousal support is, as you're saying, both tax-deductible to the payer, and income to the receiver. Um, Correct. Thank therefore, you for correcting. Me. <laughs> financial impact on both individuals in terms of how they're going to manage their money. Anything else you'd like to say about that?
1: Well, um, if you are a, a receiver of child support or spousal support for that matter, um, it might be a good idea to work in a life insurance policy on the payer. Um, and, and put that into the divorce agreement. Um, it used to be mandated by courts, and uh, I guess recently, relatively recently, they can no longer be mandated by the courts. Um so if you can protect yourself on, an, on another level and maybe take some of that money you're receiving and put it towards a, chi- uh, a life insurance policy on the payer of that spousal support or child support, it kind of protects you on the, on the back end should something happen to, uh, to the payer of that award.
0: Now, do you, um, and, and as a financial advisor, now you're not an attorney, but do you advise that there's also other ways to get the money from Investments that would be a lien, or would be a, a backup in case of
1: death. Well, um, yeah. If, if they don't pay, you can definitely uh, you can definitely um, get a lien on their on their assets and go to court with that. If if they're due to pay you, they they will owe you that money. If you know that there's accounts there, um, they can they can put a lien on those accounts. Um, that, that's usually more for for a lawyer uh, to take care of. But, um, but there are ways to, to get back any un, unpaid child support that uh, you, you believe that you're due or that the court has, um, has appointed to you.
0: Now, as a financial advisor, how about child support? What does one do with the money they receive? Let's say if it's more than the cost of taking care of the child that they'd like to invest it or uh, make sure that it's there for the child in case there are hard times ahead, what do you recommend with those monies that they're receiving for child support?
1: sure uh obviously the 529 plan as we discuss if there has not been one set up um if there is a if there is a 529 plan set up uh you can you can put them in a custodian account for the child or or just set it aside in an account that that you have that uh, that maybe you can code under the child's uh you know under code name under the child's name so you know that it's savings um just in case kind of a uh, just in case fund for your for your child so um i would not probably take too much risk uh, while investing that money due to the fact that you want, want to make sure it's there in case you need it um usually we would just be compounding uh, a fixed income kind of a, a safer investment in those in those kind of situations but um definitely something that a lot of people do, and, uh, and a good way to, to protect yourself against any, uh, any unseen circumstances.
0: Okay, James, so far, we're about to end our, our time here. You've been so incredibly helpful, and again, I want you to oh. let us know how we can contact you, but the last question is truly reflective that after divorce, there is life, <laughs> and after divorce, <laughs> you make financial plans. I know it's really hard to believe that when you're going through it. But there is, there are wealth issues, uh, health, health issues, financial issues that you will continue to have to pay attention to. So in terms of being a financial planner, And they're done. And they can finally breathe. They come into your office. What do you talk about in terms of how you manage or plan ahead for their future?
1: Sure. Uh, first off, thank you again for having me. And um, a lot of people who come into my office after a divorce are most of the time very, very happy, much happier people than they were during the divorce or before the divorce. So uh, when you said (laughs) the perfect, perfect saying life after the divorce, there is life after the divorce. And most of the time in my experience, people who I've worked with are, uh, are much happier and, um, and uh, Ready to uh, ready to move forward, which is, which is always uh, which is always good to see that from people, and it, especially if you're there to help them uh, make it through to that point, so that they um, they are set up going forward. Um, it really it really means a lot to them, and um, it's, it's what brings a smile to my face. So uh, when I'm meeting with a client that's after after they've uh, filed and, and and finished everything and and finalized the divorce, we Kind of go backwards and take a similar approach to how we started, and um, that goes through um the same same lines of thinking as okay well we we need to be informed, knowledge is power this time it's on us, right, so we're trying to to now become as informed as possible about the client and their future plans going forward, what their priorities are um, what they what they ended up with after the divorce, and kind of what what their plan is and what their goals are and how, how we can help achieve those goals for the client. Um, once we compile that information and we take a look at the budget, see where the cash flow is, um, if there is a positive or negative cash flow after expenses, if there is negative, you know how, how we can cut that out and, and make sure that it's positive going forward. Um, and then we take the plan and, and we tailor a solution to the client to to allow them to put money away and grow the money that they do have to accomplish the goals that they want uh, that they want to, that they want to accomplish. So uh, whether that be I just want to retire at 65, whether it be I, I want my child to go to Yale and uh, and I want to buy another house, uh, whatever those goals are and priorities for that client is, we. We take it upon ourselves to to figure that out for the client and do whatever we can. And um, a lot of the times, we're talking to clients about how much risk they need to take with their money in in, a, uh, in order to accomplish the goals that they're that they're working on accomplishing. And and are they comfortable with that sort of risk? Um, my job here is to to get enough money so they can do whatever they want, um, but without taking as much risk. So um, we want to take the little the mo- the smallest amount of risk possible to accomplish the goals that they want to accomplish and um and we pride ourselves in doing that uh, there's no reason to take risks with money if uh if you don't if you don't need to um, the market is fickle uh, although it although it does move um, generally. To the higher side over over the time that it has existed, I think it averages something like nine or ten percent a year um, since the early 1900s. So um, we we understand that it does go up and down, and 2008 has has um, really hurt a lot of people's confidence in the markets going forward. So uh, we want to make sure that we we are not taking the amount of risk that that might uh, that might have them lose large amounts, and then obviously. Uh, if you stayed in the market during that period of time, you know you've you've kind of come back to even now. So um, we want to make sure any money that we're taking risk with is very long-term investment, and um, and then once we've tailored that solution, found the right risk profile for the client, and, and what the investments um, we can use at best to help them, um, then we focus on communication here. My background. Uh, before I started as a financial advisor, was a client service associate. Um, My whole business practice is based around client service. Um, Our number one idea or our number one um, action that we take is, is communication. And what we try to do is make sure we are in continuous communication with the client. We want to make sure that we talk to them in whatever um, time frame that they want to talk to, I mean, you, we'll get back to you definitely within one day. Uh, anytime we someone leaves a message for us, but uh, we try to contact our clients once a quarter just to make sure they're doing okay, make sure nothing has changed that we should know about. Um, if they want to talk once a month, then we talk once a month. Uh, <laughs> sometimes clients want to just do that once a year review of everything, and and we obviously do that too. But. We want to make sure that the clients know that that we're here for them. They can balance questions off us whenever they want. Um, you know, we're we're not we're not paid like a lawyer, where um, where you get charged for time. I mean, we tell people, hey, leverage our time. Call us whenever you have a question. Make sure we know what's going on with you, so we can best help you uh, accomplish the the goals that you set out for in your life.
0: just said, folks. James Mannion help you out. He is located in Manhattan Beach, California. At 2381 Rosecrans Avenue. Oh Segundo, sorry, not Manhattan Beach, on oh, Manhattan Beach Branch. There we go. The directory yes. is 310, 297, 3764. And you can reach him at the email of James.nanion at morganstanley.com dot com. And you can get all that going, of course, on the front of this radio show as well. Well, James, parting words here are what in terms of helping people with their money and an awkward divorce process in life?
1: Sure. Uh, Parting words, I know I've said it a bunch of times so far uh, during uh, during this interview, but knowledge is power. Learn the basics of what it is that you're going through. Understand what you are what you've now embarked upon the journey that that you're going to take through through the divorce through all the court meetings and divorce attorney meetings um, you know kind of prepare yourself mentally for that and um as much as you can hire good people around you, mental health professionals like dr francis who who can really huh. help. Thank you. <laughs> bring your oh no, no problem. We can help kinda of bring you back and allow you to be centered and, and make uh make good decisions about um about everything that you need. You're gonna be making a lot of decisions uh during this process and and making the best decisions that you can um involves advice and, and leveraging the people around you. So um I would think those were those would be the two most important things.
0: Thank you so much for your t- time, James, and we'll get on to other topics in our future. I can foresee such. And folks, please take good care of yourself. Divorce may be in your future. It may be in your past. A next marriage may be coming, and it may be time to plan ahead. And you know the parallels of the previous marriage. Love is wonderful. Falling out of love is painful. Divorce is even worse. So take care of yourself, because you do need to take care of your money. And we will talk to you down the road Thanks, James Mannion. Thanks for
1: listening. Thank you. All the best.